This episode of Deep Dive is brought to you by Democrats Abroad. Democrats Abroad is a volunteer organization that helps Americans overseas register to vote. And, in case you haven't heard, they're having their primary right now. That's right, as an American living abroad, you can vote in the Democratic primary as long as you do it by March 10th. The Democratic Party recognizes Americans living abroad as their own quote-unquote state, and it's got 21 delegates up for grabs in the primary, so your vote really matters. Want to know more? Just head to democratsabroad.org primary. Same-day registration is allowed, and you can cast your vote right now from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's democratsabroad.org primary, and the link can be found in the show notes. Hello and welcome to Deep Dive. From the Japan Times, I'm Oscar Boyd. The last time we covered coronavirus on this podcast, Japan had just 247 cases, and most of those were confined to the quarantined cruise ship, the Diamond Princess. Since then, the virus has gone global, with over 90,000 people infected and 3,000 deaths reported across the globe at the time of recording. Excluding the Diamond Princess, Japan is now reporting 227 cases, and six people are known to have died so far. Up until the end of February, Japan's response to the disease had been limited, but over the past few days we've seen a whole raft of new measures aimed to tackle coronavirus and its effects, from nationwide school closures to a promised 270 billion yen stimulus package. Joining me today to discuss this response is Brand Glossman, Deputy Director of the Center for Rulemaking Strategies at Tama University, a senior advisor of the Pacific Forum, author of the recently published book Peak Japan, and a member of the Japan Times' editorial board for 29 years. Brad, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Hold on while I put my mask on. <laughs> I've been admiring its position in your left breast pocket. Ever ready, always prepared. <laughs> Let's jump to it. Brad, I wanted to talk to you because you wrote a piece for the paper last week that was critical of Japan's response to the coronavirus so far, saying it was too slow in dealing with an escalating problem. At the end of last week and over the weekend, we saw a number of measures put in place, though, that seem designed to convince people that Japan has more of a grip on things, uh, including widespread school closures and a televised address to the nation by Abe on Saturday. So do you still stand by your original assessment? I stand by my assessment, but I think you were uh, you, you gave me too much credit or, or I wasn't as mean as you said I was. Um, it was... Uh, it was a critical assessment, but I think it was a fair analysis of, of, of the government's response. Okay, then, could you talk me through your assessment? How have you been looking at how Japan's responding to the crisis? There are several ways, I think, to look at how this or any government would respond to a crisis of this magnitude. So I'm going to offer you, I think, the benefit as well of a, of a few more days to think about what's transpired and how I would think about this response. What I would probably start with is there are three distinct levels of the response. The first would be every government should have planned and anticipated a pandemic disease crisis. When uh, the Obama administration left office in the United States in 2017, the individuals that were working on this issue at the National Security Council told their counterparts that they absolutely would face a disease crisis and needed to be ready. So a government that did not have some form of contingency planning done, and some sort of framework for a response on the shelf was probably criminally negligent. And I would hope that somewhere in the bowels of the government, there was an outline at least, or some advanced thinking about a crisis of this magnitude and of this kind in a preparation. Uh, it doesn't look like that happened, so it'd be interesting to know what happened and why things didn't happen the way they did. 
Second, it's far more micro. In this, it's the question of whether people were properly suited, whether they were following protocols. On that response, by all accounts, it certainly looks like the the, the government did not handle this well, the Diamond Princess being just an extraordinary uh, case. Uh, Everyone refers to it as a giant floating Petri dish, and I think that tells you everything you need to know. The degree to which you have individuals that are on the front lines of the response, whether they are bureaucrats, whether they are health officials, emergency workers, the degree to which they've been infected suggests poor, poor preparation and poor, poor protocols. And the third? The third is the degree to which the national leadership is then prepared to deal with the crisis as it unfolds. And this is where true leadership comes in, because you've got to be making decisions with imperfect information. And this is very much where I focused the article and the analysis last week. On this, I'm less inclined to fault the Abe government just because so much of the disease and the particulars were unknown, and quite frankly, still are, and we're learning about it. So I'm less uh, willing to drag this government through the dirt on that particular level, although over time, and as we learn more, we expect better, more robust responses, more thoughtful ones. And here, I think the government is playing catch-up. Looking at how Japan initially reacted to the virus, do you think the lack of a cogent response was to be expected? Probably. Uh, Japan has not had a particularly compelling history of dealing with crises and emergencies in the past. Um, you know, you can look back to 1995, Kobe earthquake, you can to 2011, uh, any variety of situations where you just don't have a great deal of readiness to improvise and to innovate. And there's a, instead a reflexive tendency to fall back on established procedures, patterns, and protocols. And this came out in my book, Peak Japan, which started with an analysis of the 2011 triple catastrophe. A, a, a Japanese politician said to me, you know, Japanese resilience is an absolute break on change. In other words, the readiness of the Japanese people to gambaru, to you know, suck it up and to gut it out in any tough situation reduces the pressure on the government to take strong action. And how do you think that that mentality fed into the initial response to the coronavirus? Well, you had people that continued to do what they were doing uh, without any great adjustment in their lifestyle and their patterns. And consequently, without disruption, a government is unlikely, unless it's incredibly great great vision and foresight and ready to take difficult, make difficult decisions that you're going to continue on 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 the path you're on. And so I think that's very clearly that there was less inclination and less sense from the Japanese leadership that things had to be done and every reason as, uh, to, to play down the, the need to or adopt potentially radical gestures that would stem the flow of the disease and demonstrate real will. Part of the problem is, is that if you're trying to downplay the seriousness of the disease because you have good reasons to and because maybe you don't think it is that serious, when you start taking tough prophylactic measures, then you also kind of undercut your your message, which is don't panic, this is under control. You say that the Japanese government had every reason to not take drastic action. So let's go into those reasons. Do you think that a desire to maintain the status quo for as long as possible clouded the initial response? We're all speculating here. I'm not inside the prime minister's brain, and and, and uh, we're all somewhat guessing. But again, reading the analysis that's come out over the last couple of weeks, it certainly looks like there were a couple of really key factors. Number one, the fact that the Japanese economy was, was coming off this disastrous final quarter in 2019, and you were just approaching, as the, as the, the, um, the virus news started to break in Japan, it was the Lunar New Year, you were expecting an influx of Chinese tourists that would have been really, really helpful 
to give Japan that goose and the, the economy that goose, and you didn't want to cut that off. So that was number one. Number two, and related to that, of course, was the prospect of the Xi Jinping visit later in the, the spring, which was historic. It was the first visit since 2008, state visit by a, a Chinese lit- leader. This relationship with China is critical to Japan on so many different levels. It was an opportunity for the prime minister to not only build this relationship, but kind of stand on an international stage with Xi Jinping and be demonstrated to show regional leadership. Um, so you had every incentive as well to want to not prejudice that. And of course, hanging over to the Olympics as well and not wanting to do anything that might undermine the, the success of that particular uh, event. And what has the Prime Minister's role been in all of this? Because Abe came under quite a lot of criticism, not just from opposition parties, uh, but also his own party for not appearing to play an active role in managing this crisis. The hashtag Abe Yamaro or Abe should resign was actually trending over the weekend. Well, they've convened that emergency task force, and ostensibly he's the chair of it, I believe. But it's not clear how much time. I think there was the famous news report of him showing up for one meeting for all of eight minutes. You know, he's, he's got to be sending the signal of being in charge. That's the prime minister's job. He needs to be directing. But for him, no one should expect him to be an expert on public health. And so no one expects him to be, you know, at the forefront of this. The question then is who in the government does he trust and who has the requisite knowledge, experience, and capacity to both mobilize the various pieces of the Japanese bureaucracy, understand the international dimensions of this and the scientific and health and medical-related dimensions, and thus be able to pull all the strands together, and then provide an image to the people of reassurance and calm. And there just really isn't anyone in this government that has that. Um, and more importantly, the, gov- the, the prime minister hasn't been able to designate that person and then elevate them in the public view such that he can step back and that individual would then be leading. I mean, that's the person who should be out front with the confidence of the, of the prime minister, right, you know, standing over their shoulder and nodding sagely and you know, putting the imprimatur of his or, authority. But that's not what's happening. We have seen significantly more action from the Prime Minister over the past few days, which many say is in response to his declining approval rating. Uh, On Thursday, there was his particularly dramatic announcement that schools nationwide would be asked to close until the beginning of April. He made that televised address to the nation on Saturday to try and reassure the public and to ask for their cooperation. He's also promoting telework and asking people to stagger their commutes. I know that on a day-to-day level here, people at the Japan Times are being asked to work from home. So do you think this is a sign that Japan is taking the virus more seriously now? First of all, I want to clear that you've dragged me through rush hour traffic to come into the Japan Times office in the midst of this infection. So uh, thank you for for giving me the chance to... And thank you for coming on the podcast. (laughs) Um, We are, what now, over a month into the very public phase of... of, not, Not just the public phase. I think at the point at which we've been aware that this is truly a problem. So without question, you've needed... The government had to do something... The problem is, of course, whether or not it's been too long in the absence of any real effort, in the sense that the government was prioritizing other concerns for as long as it did, not to suggest at the outset, again, until February the 1st or February maybe the 5th, you had a case to be made for a reasoned approach. But I think over time, it's become much clearer that leadership around the world has needed to get in front. The degree to which you see Japan doing something on and going through a cycle of if you will, indifference or whether you want to call that denial and then gradual realization and then a a response and then a sharper response, that particular curve is one thing. 
For another country to be going through that same curve now seems to me to be that's far more reprehensible in terms of a denial of reality. We should be learning from the experience of other countries. So in other words, the countries that are at this point in their response where Japan was a month ago, they're the ones that really need to be held responsible. But on that point, though, China was giving very clear signals at the end of January that they thought, shit, this is a very serious disease. Do you not think at that point Japan should have taken stronger action? Well, again, but you don't know what the, you didn't know what the infection rates were and you didn't know where... Uh, how far it had spread. And I think, again, first of all, you you go back further. The Chinese authorities knew probably as early in December, if not before, what was going on. The WHO was notified. The Japanese were under the impressions about what we knew about the disease, right? And the way that we have better understood the way this disease works has been important. So if you're basing your response on the knowledge so-called knowledge, I'm making air quotes as I say that, that it is a lower respiratory disease that is infectious only when it's, it's symptomatic, then you can afford to be a little more relaxed because you're just looking for people that are coughing, sneezing with a high fever. And yet what we discovered later was that was wrong. So we're making decisions on the basis of imperfect information. But with Japan, the larger point has just got to be the degree to which the readiness to convey calm is is seen as responsible versus an irresponsible set of factors. And that boils down ultimately to the trust you have in the government and the decision makers that you have. And one other thing just I think is important in this context, and that is, well, two things actually I think are, are worth mentioning. The first is, is that the only thing that's going to spread faster than the coronavirus is fear. And thus, governments have got to get in front of this. On the other hand, we've got to be cautious about security theater. And what do you mean by that? Uh, in early days, there's a inclination to do stuff to look like you're doing stuff, to build that confidence, or to look like you're doing something, regardless of how effective it is. The fact of the matter is, this is not an Ebola-type disease where you get in contact with it and you are going to die. It is, at this point, I mean, the official statistics are something, what, of a 2% lethality rate. So you've got to put this in perspective. And I think that, that one of the things that, that, that we in a modern society do is either ignore or inflate threats across a whole range of uh, issues and concerns. And we, we, if you do that, right, you have two potential dangers. The first, of course, is that you can respond to yesterday's crisis, in which case you think you're ready for what happened to you and have no clue what's about to happen. And second is that you over-respond and you end up destroying confidence because people look at you and think you're overreacting to a crisis. The sad paradox of all of this is that an effective response to a crisis ultimately means that what you, whatever you do keeps it from becoming a genuine crisis, which then, in theory, undercuts your ability to demonstrate success, effectiveness, because nobody ever knows what you've saved them from. We'll be back after this. Hey, it's Oscar. If you want to get the latest episodes of Deep Dive straight to your device, subscribe to us on whichever podcasting platform you're using, or better yet, join our brand new mailing list to get updates straight to your inbox whenever a new episode is released. Visit jtimes.jp slash sub to get started, and that link will be in the show notes. Cheers. You've brought up this idea 
of making decisions on top of imperfect information a couple of times now. But one of the things I think we can look at Japan and look at quite skeptically is its policy towards testing at the moment. Because compared to other countries in the region, it's doing far, far fewer tests.、Uh, from South Korea, we've seen reports of drive through testing and that they're processing up to 10,000 tests every day. Japan, in theory, has the capacity to do 4,000 tests per day, but it's currently only doing somewhere closer to 2,000. And there were even suggestions from one doctor and executive director of the Medical Governance Research Institute here in Tokyo, Masahiro Kami,、uh, that the government might be deliberately capping the number of tests pre Olympics to make Japan's infection rate look lower than it is. So, why do you think Japan isn't pursuing a more ambitious testing strategy? I, honestly, I, I cannot explain that. Governments don't keep secrets, not of this magnitude. If the government is trying to lowball the numbers, then it will come out because there is no incentive for a large group of people to keep something of this, this nature quiet,、um, given the potential health problems and, and ramifications. The notion that you would artificially attempt to restrict the number of tests to Present a different image is, is, is political suicide and you know, a, a grave threat to the nation. And I, for all of, of, of Prime Minister Abe's faults and you know, for all of his policy priorities, with which I might disagree, I do believe that the Prime Minister is not, does not put his personal interest above the, the, that of the nation. I think he is concerned truly about the state of the country. And thus, he is doing what he can to. Best advance the interests as he sees them. And the debate that I have with he and parts of his government or others is over the best way to do that. So it's got to be that they literally believe that the disease is not that severe and that the at risk groups are truly restricted. You know, again, 80% of the cases are mild. What you have to worry about seemingly is being over the age of 50, having particular types of symptoms. And in that case, what you really want to do is create some sort of medical triage and thus restrict the provision of care to those that really need it and not risk a larger medical catastrophe or crisis by overwhelming the, the healthcare system. Looking forward, there is a scenario in which the number of cases in Japan spikes massively, and it's clear that the coronavirus can't be contained here. What does a failure to contain the coronavirus mean for Japan? If the cases spike and the crisis goes very, very, very bad,、um, I mean, the human cost of this would be quite severe.、Uh, and and I, we talk about these in abstract, and I think it's really vital that we acknowledge that there are people who will suffer and families will die or families will, will, will lose members. And let's, let's take as given the human dimension of this crisis and, and don't ever want to talk about them in bloodless terms. The Government will suffer immensely. I mean, you've seen a, a, what, a 10 percentage point fall,、uh, roughly, by most polls of, of the support rating so far. I think it would go lower. I think、uh, it would imperil the Prime Minister's、uh, ability to stay in office. I don't think he would probably want to stay in office.、Uh, if you have a spike in cases, then you have the cancellation, postponement. I don't know what the thinking is at this point about the Olympics. If The Prime Minister has truly invested so much of his tenure and looked at that event as a seminal occasion to mark his term in office. I think the pressure for him to step down would be、uh, immense. It's not clear that anyone would have his ability to, to mobilize the, 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 the government in ways any better than he could. 
but it would just be the removal of a figure who would be seen as tainted. Uh, you will see a huge, um, and this is going to come anyway, uh, you're going to see a, 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 a huge uh, fiscal stimulus package that will come to try to offset some of the negative effects, which will then truly prove to be problematic for economic decision-making in the second half of the year. Uh, so I think uh, if this crisis gets out of hand, clear, uh, there are profound implications for the, for the Abe um, administration. And I think that what you would see is uh, perhaps a rewriting of the Abe legacy that said that this was a man who, had, who was capable of making small corrections in the ship of state but failed on the larger questions truly of dealing with crises and may have failed the, the great test of leadership. Might we see more extreme actions in a bid to stop a mass scale infection, such as cities being shut down? Sure. Uh, I think it's possible, although my understanding is there's no legal authorities to do so. The Japanese, though, the Japanese people are, are unlike the Chinese, uh, far more um, inclined towards order. Again, this goes back to my comment earlier about social resilience. I think if the government truly laid out, this is what you have to do, we have to do as a nation— to combat this disease, I think at that point that, that people would take it into, uh, into effect. I mean, perhaps in some regards, the closest analogy to this might well be the uh, moral consumerism that followed uh, March 11th, right? When people quit doing the Sakura and the Hanami parties and were trying to you know, demonstrate a, 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 um, you know, a sense of unity. I mean, do you suppose that the prime minister will resurrect Kazuna as a way of bringing us all together in one boat uh, and one, one country responding to all of this? The, the larger issue, I think, would be less legal in the, in the Chinese case in the use of brute force, in the, but more an att- appeal to the nature of, of Japan, the Japanese people pulling together and coming together to deal with a, a a great crisis. Over the weekend, we saw reports from CNN that the US was considering placing travel bans on Japan. Fortunately, that hasn't yet come to fruition, but I think the threat still looms large over the country. What might such a ban mean for both Japan and the US? Well, we're already moving in that direction. The flights are already down because the demand is low. Um, I think given the volatility, the germophobia of the president of the United States, uh, he has, um, to see him take an extreme measure of that nature, uh, it was not beyond the pale. On the other hand, he seems to be influenced by his friends uh, and his, you know, he, he prides his personal relationship above, above all else. With, with particular national leaders. So if the prime minister were to make an appeal to the president, then um, that would carry a great deal of weight. So then that goes back to my previous point about if Abe has a real crisis and you have to, and he is replaced, then that personal relationship is gone and there's less of a, a countervailing force in American or White House deliberations. I mean, most of the experts tell you that travel bans don't have an impact, that they really are ineffective as a means of containing the transmission of the disease. You know, the, I think you're more inclined or, or very much inclined to see uh, international travel being cut back just because demand is going to fall at this point until people aren't, aren't going to want to get on planes because they're not going to like where they're going to go or they're not going to like the prospect of being trapped in an enclosed space and potentially infected anyway. Um, so I'm not sure that, a, that an actual ban... Market forces and common sense may well just reduce travel. Rather, You don't need to actually take that, that final brute step. You said experts say that 
travel bans are ineffective, but we have seen the quarantining of Wuhan and other cities in Hubei province and the ban of travel between them significantly slowing the spread of the disease in China. True. I'm not, I'm not sure that what we call a... I mean, let's, let's, there's a difference between a travel ban and a quarantine. I mean, what China has done has been quite remarkable, and it's a function of very much the specifics and the particularities of China itself. So I don't, very few countries are going to ever be able to do what the Chinese have done. And, you know, this goes back to a point we are making earlier, which is the trade-offs that are involved, safety and security versus personal freedom. At one level, there is a question to be raised about the degree to which we are comfortable with giving a government control over our lives in ways that permit them to override any individual freedom, to force people to stay in their homes for a week at a time, even when they, are not, when, they, when they don't have a disease, and it's merely a preventive kind of measure. If you wish to have that level of security in your life in every dimension, whether I'm talking about uh, diseases, infections, or where the Chinese government goes with this in terms of controlling social safety and stability, then those are huge powerful choices. Where you draw the lines in terms of the balances of powers and responsibilities are really what we're talking about. And those are huge and vastly profound questions. And unless you are prepared to cede all of your autonomy to the state, we live with risk. On that point, and trying to sum up those good luck arguments about where power lies or where power should lie um, and public trust with the government, how do you think from now Japan can improve its response with the aim of containing the spread of this coronavirus? To be quite honest, I think the Prime Minister has made a good start by standing up for 36 minutes and talking to the people directly. And I think that what has to happen is there needs to be more of that. It's a really great deal of strategic communications. It is communications that lays out the, the facts as we know them and acknowledges the uncertainties that surround those facts, that explain the decision-making process. An imperiousness, a heavy-handedness, a high-handedness, uh, anything, a patronizing, condescending kind of approach is not going to work. You need to have the people understand what decision you're making, why you're making it, and if you're changing your decision, acknowledging that and explain why that is. That becomes the process of building trust between the public and the leadership. And when you begin to restore that trust, then you have the ability to do harder things. You know, the, the reason that China really has to do what China does, its truly heavy-handed response, is because it's such a huge state and because the government and the society are at such great gaps. No one trusts the government. And what that means is that when the government says, stay home, because you could be infected, the response of people is, they've lied to me before, why should I believe them now? And in that environment, even if the problem is real, then what has to happen is you've got to bring out the troops, literally, to make sure that people follow your orders. China is on the exact opposite end of the spectrum with the Japanese, insofar as the government here will say something, and a very significant proportion of the population is prepared to do that because... That's the way the relationship between the leaders and the led work. It's not the way it works in China. Um, it reflects very, very different models of trust, of governance, and, and I think an understanding of where, yeah, where, where the center is in regard to relations between the, the leaders and the led.
let's wrap up by asking what measures you're taking against the coronavirus. Are you personally worried about this? Well, the most important thing you do is you wash your hands a lot. And you wash your hands more than just the perfunctory, right? You know, it's, 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 uh, there's uh, lots of videos and they all have to do with... Uh, you make sure you wash your hands for about 20 seconds. You sing what? You sing "Happy Birthday" twice. I think is, is what gets <laughs> is that you through. It? Yeah, tw- two, ver- two verses of "Happy Birthday" to you gets you the appropriate amount of time. You are, um, you know, masks are not useful if you are not sick. They don't keep diseases out. They will keep yours in. So if you're sick, wear a mask. Uh, I would say avoid public places. Um, it, it's it's common. It, a lot of it is common sense. Don't hoard. And uh, I guess be nice to people because it's a strange, stressful time. And try not to be to do things that add to the stress or uh, otherwise make a difficult situation worse. In Parliament on Monday, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe vowed he would expedite legislation needed to declare a state of emergency, granting the government extra powers to ask residents to stay indoors and close public facilities. A government panel also came out to say that they believe patients with mild symptoms are playing a key role in spreading the coronavirus through their day-to-day interactions. You can get all the latest on the spread of the coronavirus throughout Japan on the Japan Times' dedicated live blog, where my colleagues are tracking the situation as it develops. Our guest this week was Brad Glossman. Thank you so much to him for braving the rush hour commute to talk with us. Thanks as always for listening. Remember to wash your hands. And once you've done that, use them to give us a review on whichever podcasting platform you're using. Until next time, as always, Potskari Samaa.